You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. We are continuing this summer our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. And for those of you that are new to our church, when you came in today, uh, they, get, they should have given you uh, some notes, some sermon notes uh, that we provide every week. And the reason that we do this is my conviction is this, that at some point God will say something to you today. Not me, but God will say something to you. There'll be some impression that you don't need to forget And if you don't write it down, you won't remember it. No matter how good you are, no matter how diligent you are, you won't remember it. And so we provide this. We also provide this so that maybe on, later on, when you're at home and you're rereading the Bible or you're you're reading the Bible, you're rereading this section, uh, you can go back to these notes uh, and refresh yourself about uh, what we are talking about. Uh, This message is a very important message for our time. Um, as we've been working through this, when I, when, as I could see our, us coming to this moment, coming to this Sunday, my prayer has been very specific that God will give us an ability to see what we could never see without the Lord's help. Because there are things that you can't see until God helps you to see them. It's not that you're not looking, it's just that you don't have an ability to see it. Some things, as we talked about a few weeks ago, are spiritually discerned, and the Holy Spirit has to illuminate your mind, open up your heart in a way that you can see it and go, oh, I I see that. The story in 2 Kings where Elisha, the prophet, is... His servant comes in and says, we're surrounded by this Syrian army. And the Lord, Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when he went back, what he saw that time were the angels of the Lord as they were singing today, surrounding the house of Elisha. Now they were there all the time. He just couldn't see them. I want to caution just because I feel obligated to caution that if you have a small child with you today, you may want to figure a way to get them out of the room toward the end of the message because some of the language at the end may be just a little too adult uh, and it would be difficult to try to explain when you get in the car after church and they go, what was he talking about, mama? So just be aware of that. I'm just giving you that heads up. It won't be reckless. But some of this could be just a dab adult, too adult for uh, children that are still very young. But it is a message for our time. Because we live in a world that has lost its way. And Paul is dealing with a congregation of people some of whom were teetering on the edge of going back to their former life. Their habits, their behaviors were such that Paul felt 
compelled to say to them, don't do this. What you're trying to do, this behavior you have, is leading you in the wrong direction. And I know that God says to us today as a people, be careful what you give yourself to. Be careful what you allow yourself to become involved with because the enemy wants to trap you and take you somewhere that you don't want to go. So let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for what you are about to do in this room. I feel your presence. I, I sense that this is a, a divine moment. Not because of me, but because of you and because of your spirit and specifically because of the word of God. So Lord, may your word go forth today with clarity. Help the hearer, the people that are listening to me today, the ones that are watching online, those who are listening to a podcast in days to come. Give them an unbelievable ability today to listen and to hear and to comprehend what you are saying to all of us today. And Father, we are careful that your name receive praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Happy anniversary to Larry and Jerry Davis. 51 years this weekend. Yep. I thought about that, Larry. It would literally be illegal nowadays for you to marry a girl as young as Jerry was when you got married. But uh, proud of this family. What an amazing gift God's given us in the Davises and their wonderful daughters, Aaron and Dana, and all their grandchildren. We thank God for them. Thank God for all the volunteers who came out yesterday and helped us. We had lots and lots of volunteers and uh, work that was done all over the place. And we didn't get everything done, so we're probably going to have another one before the fall. And if you didn't get a chance to be involved with that, you can As Christ followers, we have been empowered with the greatest gift of all humanity. We've been empowered to know the Christ, to know Jesus, God in the flesh. That God came to this earth in the form of a human being, lived among us, died on a cross... And gave to us the opportunity for us to be freed and saved from our sins. And when I think about it, I, I noted in my notes that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel it is the power of God, but not only that, it defines our life. It defines our calling. It defines our purpose forever. We're never ever going to be the same once we have been exposed to the story of Jesus. The Bible, and one of the writers said, you're without excuse because you now know. You know who Jesus was. You know what he did for you. And there's no going back from that. Paul writing a little later on in this letter in chapter 15, verse 3 through 5 says, Let me now remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and stood, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. 
I passed on to you what was most important. Paul said, I'm, I'm about to pass on to you again what was the most important. I passed on to you what was passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And I start with that because if you miss that point, that the most important thing you've been given in your life is the story of Jesus. The story of who he was, what he did, what he did on your behalf. It is the most important thing of all. Now the reason I mention that is because this church, just like our church and many churches, gets distracted about things that don't matter nearly as, nearly as much as the most important thing, which is Jesus. You'd be surprised how many churches get derailed over things that are silly. Dumb and unimportant, but they get distracted by them. Sometimes it's in the world and it drifts into our church, and we get distracted by the politics or our secular thoughts or our woke ideology or whatever you want to call it, and that gets into the church, and we miss the point that the most important thing is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's that he lived and he died for each and every one of us. And I told you last week that the letter, this is a letter. It's, it's divided into chapters and verses because the translators wanted to make it easy for you to read. But this, in fact, is one straight letter. It's topic on top of topic. And last week in chapter 5, we talked about this idea that there was such pride and such haughtiness and arrogance in this church that they were allowing things to go on that shouldn't even be going on out there in the world. And it was in the church. And the church was getting distracted. And they were missing the point. And Paul kept trying to say, you're missing the point. And he just continues right on with this in the next chapter. Because apparently what was happening is these people were taking their disputes with each other into a public arena and arguing with one another in front of unbelievers. And Paul said, seriously, this is what you're doing. You're running to a public court in front of unbelievers and asking them to resolve the disputes that are happening between you and I, you and another brother. In other words, he's telling them, listen, you're in jeopardy and you don't even realize it. You're in trouble, but you don't even realize you're in trouble because you're so distracted by yourself and things around you that you forgot what was most important. And that is the gospel and the message of Jesus to an unbelieving world. And Paul has two words for them. Stop it. Stop it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, stop it. Paul says, listen, stop getting distracted by these things. Quit letting yourself get pulled out to your own agenda. 
and get back to what is the most important thing, which is Jesus, the story of Jesus, and telling every lost person who Jesus is. So for the sake of our time today, I want to divide this message into three really big issues. Three really big issues that I think speak to Lake Erie Church this morning. Here we go. Issue number one. The way that you and I live with each other influences the way people feel about Jesus. The way that you and I live together influences the way people feel about Jesus. Look at verse 4. He says, if you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I say this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. The focus here is on the relationships that are going on in the church. Now let me be clear about something because I would not want anyone to misunderstand this is not implying that criminal behavior or criminal acts are to be swept under the rug or handled in-house without reporting them to the proper authorities. That's not what Paul's talking about. I share an assessment that James Smith, the theologian, has that by the time Paul writes the Corinthian church, their relationships and their fellowship is so fractured they can't get along with each other. They can't worship in the same space. They're so territorial. They're so divided up with their various groups and ideology that they can't even worship the same Lord together. Brothers suing other brothers probably in civil court. Going to an unbeliever for the wisdom to decide an outcome. Now I found it funny just in my warped kind of sense of humor that in the previous chapter they told Paul we have such superior wisdom and such superior knowledge and Paul just takes their own words against them and said isn't there anyone in the church wise enough to decide this issue if you're so smart if you've got so much wisdom why can't this be decided in the house you see it's so easy to get lost in this passage unless you remember that what Paul is attacking is their misunderstanding of what is the most important thing they have been called to do. And that is to be a witness of the world, of Jesus to the world. It's not about winning. It's not about getting your way. It's not about acquiring more wealth. It's about the cross. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about lost people coming to know Jesus. That, in fact, is the most important thing. I've been around a long time. I've been involved in administrative work in the church for decades. And I can tell you that sometimes these disputes that rise up in the church become extremely difficult to resolve. And I'm offering to you today four things that I worry about when churches get distracted with these kind of issues. Number one, 
the disunity and pain that is possible in the church when one person takes another to court and other people in the church get drawn into taking sides. Becomes impossible to deal with at times. And most churches, from my experience, don't survive it. You hearing what I'm saying? When disputes are allowed to spill out in the church and then they don't get resolved and people begin to take sides, then what happens is the church very likely will die. Because people then start fighting to get their way. To get the outcome that they want. And we miss the point of Jesus. Number two, public litigation like this often implies that the judgment, listen to this, that the judgment of an unbeliever is more valuable than the judgment of a spiritual church. Which we believe, and I would say emphatically, is not true. The wisdom of the world does not compare to the wisdom of the Spirit. And Paul's trying to tell them, listen, you're out here talking to people who don't know Jesus. They don't walk with Jesus. They don't walk in the Spirit. They don't understand spiritual things. Number three, the shame that comes from having unbelievers air the church's dirty laundry in public. So what happens is the church, the community, no longer associates the church with Jesus. It associates the church with the mess that's going on at the church. When I was the bishop over Louisiana, the very first Sunday I was going to a church in the northeast corner of the state. So I got up really early that morning. I drove all the way up there and I couldn't find the church. I thought I had the right address, but I couldn't find the church. And so I pulled into a convenience store in the neighborhood where I thought the church was. And I went in and there were two ladies that were sitting on milk crates behind the cash register both of them smoking a cigarette and all the ashes falling down onto their shirts. And I said, good morning ladies. I'm with the church of God and I am trying to find our church. I'm supposed to be speaking there today and I can't find the church. Would you have any idea where the local church of God is? One lady looked at the other one and she said, Church of God, is that the church where that woman stole all the money from the church? And the woman said, no, 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 that was the Baptist church. That's the church where the members got in a fight in the parking lot. That's the church of God. And she said, no, 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 that's my brother-in-law's church. They're not church of God. That's another church. And they just started listing all the junk going on in those churches. Finally, one of them said, you know, I... I bet you that's the church where the pastor had a heart attack and died. I said, that's me. That's my church. You see what I'm saying? When we allow ourselves to become distracted and we start pushing our agendas and we fall out of relationship with one another, the community doesn't know about Jesus. They know about the trash that we're taking out. 
Number four, suing one another shows that we care more about being vindicated in court with the money or the social reward that we will get than we do about preserving our relationships with our brothers and sisters in the faith. This morning as I was concluding my my moment to get my mind together, I wrote these words. If I lose my relationship with you, is it worth it? Whatever the dispute is, Whatever the uprising, whatever the the, the problem between you and I is, it would be. If I lose my relationship with you, is it worth it? Now, I know people would have problems with Paul's advice. Paul's like, what's the problem? If you get defrauded, you lose money, so what? That's not why you're here. That's not what God saved you for. You're you're distracted because you're trying to pursue something else. The bigger question for Paul is, how does your behavior among yourselves reflect on the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Remember those five questions at the beginning we talked about? Are there people out there that are more in love with Jesus now because they know you than they were before they knew you? Are they more attracted to Jesus than they were before they met you? Maybe the problem is that we have now become a culture as a society that we are so obsessed with our individual rights. We are so obsessed with our own interest that we have lost our way, that God saved us and left us here on this earth in order that we might be able to tell people what it's like to serve the Lord Jesus. Issue number one. Here's issue number two. Wrong living comes in many forms. Wrong living comes in many forms. Look at verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, commit adultery, are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, greedy, drunkards, abusive, cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. This issue is about personal righteousness. It's about personal righteousness. Paul wants them to understand that they have a responsibility to be righteous people. To live righteous lives. To represent, as the young people say. Maybe it would be better if there was like a top ten list of things that God wanted us to stay away from. Well, he already did that. It's called the Ten Commandments. Top 10 things to stay away from. Top 10 things to be watching for. But I think sometimes that we miss the point that we have to work at our salvation. We have to stay committed to it. It's not about just walking an aisle. It's not about signing a card. It's about what Paul said in Philippians, which we'll get to later. He said, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It simply means that everybody... Say everybody. 
Everybody is tempted to sin. Everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what your background is. Everybody is tempted to sin. It's just that everybody isn't tempted with the same sin. Everybody has their own unique situations. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. I love this verse. I've, I've lived in this verse so many years of my life. He says, in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials. Peter's talking to people who are going through persecution. And he said, I know you're, you're trying to keep it all together. And you've been in a season where you have been distressed by various trials. The word various there in the English comes from the Greek word poikoloi. It's the same root word from which we get our word polka dot. It means various kinds, different styles, diversified, manifold, many colors. It means that nobody's trials are the same. You know, it's like, you ever heard anybody say something like, you shouldn't be tempted with that. What a ridiculous thing to say to somebody. Just because you're not tempted with that doesn't mean that it's not a battle for them. And that's what he's saying. You've got these trials and they're not the same for every person, but every one of us has a personal responsibility to live a righteous life. Look at James chapter 1, it's on the screen for you, beginning with verse 13. And remember when you are tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Paul said, uh, James says four things here that you need to remember. Number one, that God is not causing you to be tempted. God's not leading you into temptation. He's not leading you to places where you're going to be tempted. Many years ago, I worked with a family in which a husband had been unfaithful. And the wife called me up one day and she was mad at God. She was so mad at God that God allowed this to happen, that God did this. And I... I'm not one usually to be so blunt, but I said to her, can I just be honest with you? God did not put your husband in that place. Your husband put himself in that place. God's not tempting you. He's not leading you to temptation. If you're in the middle of temptation today, it's because you've allowed yourself to be led to that place. Your temptations are personal. James says, listen, this is a personal battle that you've got. This is what you have to deal with. These are your sets of circumstances. And everybody's different. And I say this with the greatest of humility. You could come to this podium here and you could pop a top on a can of beer and set it right there. And you could make me stand here until I collapse and I don't believe I would ever be tempted by that. But there are people in this room, there are people watching me, that that is a, a significant temptation for you. So I can't be coy about that. I can't act like that's ridiculous that you're tempted because I have my own temptations. 
and I have my own issues. And that's what James is saying. They're personal. Third thing he says is when you surrender to temptation, that becomes a sinful act. When you allow yourself to be moved from just being tempted, it's not a sin to be tempted. I mean, listen, I, I, I wouldn't come up here and tell you about all the thoughts that have gone through my head. It's not a sin that you have a tempting thought. I mean, I've driven down the road before and I've just had this thought like, why don't you just drive your car right off the bridge? No. Not a sin to have that thought. It doesn't mean I'm crazy. It just means I'm tempted. You've got to deal with it. You've got to manage it right there in that space. But when you are tempted, if you allow that temptation to lead you to an action, then you've just entered into a sinful action, James says. And then he said, if you allow, the fourth thing he said is, if you allow sinful action to continue in your life, it will destroy you. What's the point? The point is, is that you and I have a responsibility to live holy lives. We have a responsibility to be God-fearing people who walk before the Lord. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have this opportunity to go into a place that where we talk about the gray areas of faith because there are places in which the scripture is not specific and we have to work that out with fear and trembling. But you always have to understand that I have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to live your life in this world in a way that causes people to see Jesus. You must conduct your business. You must con uh, take care of your responsibilities. You must treat your wife and your children in a way that if somebody's watching, they will know you're a believer. You love the Lord. You trust in the Lord. That's our responsibility. And we are accountable to God for our behavior. Paul said your behavior is giving God a black eye. You're doing this out here in front of the world and you are causing the name of Jesus Christ to, to be disrespected. And I've heard it. You probably have too. People say, well, my brother-in-law says he's a Christian and I know what he does. He's the same thing I do. It makes it hard sometimes to talk to people about Jesus because they know people that claim to be Christians, but they aren't. And it's our responsibility to live a life that causes Jesus to be glorified. Here's issue number three. God cares about what we do with our body. God cares what we do with our body. Verse 12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you, he says. Even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. The issue here is one of freedom and choice. Freedom and choice. The Corinthian believers are coming to Jesus out of a very sensual culture that glorified immorality. The reason you see so much emphasis on prostitution in Corinthians is because these prostitutes hung out at these temples. 
And these men and women would go to these temples for their sexual experiences. And they did it in the worship of their pagan gods. And Paul's trying to help them understand that's not who you are anymore. That's not your life anymore. I don't care what the culture says. It doesn't matter what popular opinion is. That's not who you are anymore. And there are three things that Paul says about our body that I want to talk about with you and then we'll be done. Here's number one. Our bodies, he says in verse 15, are members with Christ. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never, he says. What is, he, what is he referring to? He says that you and I are destined. Now listen. You and I are destined for the same resurrection experience that Jesus had. And Paul says... What happened on that Easter morning is going to happen for every person that believes in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ we have been united with Jesus. And our bodies are the temple of God. And that's why this is so important to Paul to tell the Corinthian church. And it's why it's so important this morning that I tell this to Lake Erie Church. God's design from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 was that the sexual act was to be a one flesh experience. And Paul says you cannot take that experience and connect it to the world. You can't take that experience and just exploit it for your own benefit. God's plan is very clear. Your bodies are the temple of God. So Paul's question to the Corinthians is simply this. If I am in fact one with Christ, how can I justify uniting myself physically with someone that I am not married to? Second question. Here's another reason God cares about what we do with our body. It is that in verse 19, our bodies are the temple of God. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? that lives in you and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself. I went back and read this several times because I wanted to make sure that I was clear that Paul is talking to believers. He's not talking to people in the world. He's not talking to the crowd out there uh, in society. He's talking about people who name the name of God and claim to be believers. He says, God has put His Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you and makes your body the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the very dwelling place of God. God is omnipotent, omnipresent, meaning that He is everywhere at all times. God is here, God's in Ecuador. God's at your house, God's in your car. But more personally, God has put His Spirit inside of you. And so what you do with your body represents what you do to the Spirit of God. Your body is a sacred space 
Now, Paul talks about this in a couple of places, and I hope I can explain it in a very meaningful way. Paul says there's literally all kinds of sin. There are sins outside the body. So a sin outside the body would be like robbing a store. That'd be a sin outside your body. A sin outside your body would be like murdering somebody. That's a sin outside your body, Paul says. But the sin that you, when you defile your temple, when you participate in sexual sin, he says you literally are committing a sin against your own body. Sexual sin takes place inside the body, inside the temple court where the Holy Spirit dwells. And to do so, Paul said, you are sinning, according to verse 18, against your own body. Third thing Paul says here. God, God is concerned about what we do with our body because we are to honor God with our bodies. Verse 19, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Everybody listen real careful. Sit up real straight and listen to what I'm about to tell you. The sin of this world that we live in right now is the misunderstanding that our bodies belong to us. We claim that I can do whatever I want to do with my body. It's my body. That, that's in direct opposition to the scripture. The immorality of this world and of any type of sin really is the concept that we preached about last week. That the pride of our life is that we get to do whatever we want to do. My body is mine. I'm in charge of my body. I get to decide what I'm going to do with it and who I'm going to do it with. Listen to the word of God in Romans chapter 12. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Notice the next line. This is truly the way to worship him. Listen to me, young man. Listen to me, young woman. Listen to me, any person. When you withhold yourself and you hold yourself accountable, and you choose to live life according to God's word and not the way the world tells you to live it. Paul says you're worshiping God with your body. Because we are so consumed in this world with our right to do whatever we want to do. And literally defy God to say, you're not going to tell me what to do. Paul said, you want to worship God? It's a lot more than just raising your hands and singing a song. It's a lot more than just going to church. It's a lot more than holding a Bible in your hand. It's about the complete and full giving of ourselves to God, mind, body, and spirit. 
to say, I'm, I'm his. All of me. All that I am. It may make me be an outcast to some friends, but if so be it, so be it. If my boyfriend won't love me because I won't do that, so be it. I belong to God. If my girlfriend won't be with me, so be it. I, I, I just worry so much that we are so consumed with being liked. We're so consumed with being popular. So consumed that people will think that we're normal. And the enemy is dragging us to hell. He's dragging us to hell. I want Jerome and the team to come and get ready to sing because we're going to wrap this up. I know this has been heavy. I know it's been heavy, but let me finish on a high note. There's something I want you to see as we finish here in verse 11. I told you to bring your Bible, and if you do, I'd love for you to turn 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And I want you to see it for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have a device, you can look at it on the screen. There's seven words there that turn the pivot in this chapter. Because Paul, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Paul was mad. He's frustrated. He loves this church. He loves these people. He sees what they're doing. And he knows that they're in trouble and they don't even realize it. And he's trying to make a point. And there are seven words here that pivot this whole chapter. And when I read it at my desk one night, it was like, it was like the Spirit of God just washed over me in that desk. I just stopped and laid my head down and began to absorb what the Holy Spirit was trying to say to me. And it's very simply this. Look at those words at the end of verse 11. Some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that. What's he saying? He goes on to say, but you were cleansed. You've been made holy. You've been made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, what? Well, there's a list right there in front of you. Some of you used to indulge in sexual sin. He's talking to church. Some of you used to worship idols. Some of you used to commit adultery. Some of you used to sleep with prostitutes. Some of you used to practice homosexuality. Some of you used to steal things that didn't belong to you. Some of you used to be greedy. Some of you used to be drunkards. Some of you used to be abusive people. Some of you used to cheat people. Paul said that was your former life. Some of you used to be like that. Those people aren't going to heaven. Not unless they do what you did and allow God to cleanse you. Allow God to make you holy. Allow God to turn you from your former self to a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I look across this congregation, when I think about the people watching me right now, some of you could say, if I gave you a microphone, you could say, that's who I was. That's what I was before Jesus. 
Many years ago, I was in a service where a man gave his testimony and he, he told in that service about the night that God saved him. He said, I'd come back from the Vietnam War and I was addicted to heroin. And he said, I was an alcoholic. And he, and he said, I, I, just, I just couldn't get it together after I got back from, from Vietnam. And he said, I got so despairing, so, so distraught with my life, I came in one night after work and told my wife, I'm just going to kill myself. He said his wife very calmly said, Danny, if you're going to kill yourself, why don't you wait until after church? Why don't you go to church with your kids one more time and then you can always kill yourself after church? He said, I was so drunk that made sense to me. He said, I got in my little truck. I carried the family down there to the little church. They went on in. I sat down on the back row of that church. And he said, when I sat down there, he said, I promise you, the Holy Spirit came back there and sat down beside me. I couldn't tell you who sang. I couldn't tell you who preached. I just kept hearing this voice in the side of my head that was saying, Danny, if you'll give me a chance, I'll turn your life around. He said, I couldn't wait. I ran down to the altar that night. I gave the Lord my life. I laid all my mess on the altar and I let the Lord save me and forgive me that night. He said, I went home and took a bath. He said, I hadn't had a bath in three weeks. He said, I went home and took a bath. I shaved. I got a haircut. I bought a suit. I went back to church on Sunday and they gave me a visitor's card. I said, folks, I'm not a visitor. I'm the boy God saved last night. Last week. I'm the guy that God saved. When I heard that, I thought about the fact that there are churches I know where that guy never gets in that church that night. He stinks, he looks bad, his hair's uncut, and they would tell him, you just go on down the road, you don't fit with us. But it's because we missed the most important part. Jesus didn't come to save people who had it all together. Jesus didn't come to this world for people who had all of their addictions under control. And this isn't a church for people that are perfect. This is a place where broken people come who lay down their struggles before God and say, such were some of you, but now you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Everybody in the room's got a story. Everybody could tell me something. But I'm telling you, when we sing these songs, when we sing the song they're about to sing, we can all remember that we once were lost, but now we are found. We once were people who didn't have a hope, but there's a hope in our heart today because of Jesus. How did it happen? How did it happen? He said it happened because you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Roman church, and I'm done with this, he said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be what, Billy? What? Every person. Every person who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what, sister? What? Saved. Every person. Every black man, every black woman who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. What? Saved. 
every white woman, every white boy, every white man who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. Every Latino, every brown-skinned person who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're saved people. Saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.